The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Well, we're back with another Shaken and Stirred. These are the quarantine sessions. I'm Nigel Barker. I'm in Woodstock, New York, and I am with my co-host, Tom Astor, who is in Oxford, England. Hi, Tom. Hi there, Nigel. How is it over there? It is... Funky, it's still a little funky in Woodstock, but um, New York is making a turn, I feel. I feel like we're making a turn. How are you doing? Yeah, we're good. It felt like midsummer here still for the last week. Summer shining today again, and um, that's why I'm going this, but we can't see this podcast, but I've got a, the same colour as my cocktail this evening. Oh, I thank God you finished that sentence, is all I can say. Well, before, before we get there, before I hear about your cocktail, um, a little bit of booze news. I've been hearing that Pope Francis is saying that Scotch whiskey is in fact the real holy water, which is a, a, a rather extraordinary statement. I think that perhaps the, the, the quarantine has, has, has got to the Vatican, is all I can say. <laughs> and um, they're realizing that a, a little holy water is in fact a touch of the blarney, as they'd like to say. And in sadder news, Oktoberfest in Munich is being cancelled for the first time ever. How long has it been going for? Since 1945, which as far as I'm concerned is ever. Okay, that's a long time. Right. Wow. Since the wow. Second World War. I know. So major news. Well, there you go. We've got we've got holy water, which is whiskey, which I agree 100. percent And um, we have um, Oktoberfest is being cancelled, people. So we have to plan our year ahead quite clearly. What are you drinking right now, Tom? I am drinking a rhubarb from the garden, by the way, and raspberry daiquiri that has been mixed by Mel, my girlfriend. Very nice. Sorry, it's a, it's a raspberry and rhubarb sorbet daiquiri. My goodness, okay. Well, sounds like you've had a couple already by the sounds of things. But no, 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 after I just had to remember it's such a complex drink. And I know your cocktail has been made by the beautiful Chrissy. What has she made you? The beautiful Chrissy has made me one of my favorites. It's a very simple classic gin and tonic. Um, which is really my go-to and isn't a crazy type of cocktail, but I'm rather partial and I was kind of thirsty today. And Hang on a minute. Whoa, right. This is a question for everybody out there listening to this podcast. Is a gin and tonic a cocktail? Yes. Qualify? I mean... <laughs> you didn't hear them all answer. Look, we have a guest. We have a guest in our waiting room. We have someone very, very special. We can't let them hang around any longer. Let's let them in. Here we go. Oh, look, there he is. Can he hear me? You've actually got to eat this cocktail. I can't drink it. So we now have we have our guest on, but he's he's looking at his phone. He needs to turn his audio on. Have you ever zoomed before, James? <laughs> our next guest, technically challenged, maybe, but hey, in this world of, of zooming and quarantining and cocktailing in the middle of the afternoon, which we love, we have a fabulous guest, an old friend of mine. Started in corporate America, but that's really not his story at all. But it's worth mentioning because it's such an unusual story of where he began, because not many people get to where he is from where they started. And anyway, he's an award-winning TV host, producer, filmmaker. He creates, one could argue, feel-good television. And has been, you're known from shows like American Doers, The American Dream Project. And he created a production company called Happy Marshall. Please welcome James Marshall, The Shaken and Stirred. Well, cheers, guys. Nice to see you, Nigel. Nice to see you, Tom. Nice to meet you. And what are you drinking, James? Uh, well, I'm on my second. I was a bit uh, ahead of the curve. I'm on my uh, second margarita. It's incredibly strong. 
So I'm um, always three seats to the wind. So cheers. Lovely. And how did you make your margarita? Oh, with a lot of tequila, a little bit of Cointreau, a little bit of lime juice. I don't like it too sweet. And then some lime. Absolutely. And, and what kind of tequila are you? What, what kind of tequila person are you? Uh, this was a Don Julio 1942, whatever that is. Ooh, I'm not whatever that is. Oh, come on. It's only the most expensive tequila there is. It's like $190 a bottle. Well, which, by the way, you shouldn't be putting into a margarita. You should be drinking it on the rocks or straight up. Well, excuse me. Whatever, whatever lights me up, I'll, I'll take it. But I just, it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly fussy as long as, as long as, long as it's pretty good. So 1942 is very good, and it's actually got a, a, a big vanilla hit to it. So it's uh, unlike most. And they, they'll argue, but they add vanilla to the flavor. So it's not a part of the normal flavor profile. It doesn't come from the barrel. But um, I'm joining you with a little tequila action. Yeah, over oh, here. Uh, very nice. Um, I'm drinking? a big fan of tequilas. Tom, on the other hand, hates tequila. He's not a tequila drinker at all. So. Well, do you know why? Because I don't want to drink something out of a bottle that looks like a massive dildo. I mean, what the hell was that? Wait, did, did, would you get confused or something? After no, a I don't like the idea of it. No, I just don't like the idea of, you know... Have you seen the colour of them, for goodness sakes? I mean, Jesus, what was that line? It matches me. I like it because it has the same hairstyle. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> we're on a podcast at the moment, so nobody listening can actually, actually knows what on earth. This is called Casa Azul, and everyone knows the, the look and the shape of the bottle of the Casa Azul. You nutter. But anyway, we're getting totally off track. It, looks like, it basically looks like Tom's dildo. That's basically what he's saying. Basically. Oh, it, it's, well, it's, it's a little small for Tom, is what I'm, I'm sure, actually. <laughs> like we're going to get, get an endorsement from a, you know, erectile dysfunction now, is what's going to happen. You're a big guy, Tom, a big guy. Thanks. Yeah, but my, my wife actually was looking at the screen a second ago and she said, darling, you look very little next to Tom. Uh, was she looking at the screen, Nigel? Yes, it was just the screen. Thank you very Ooh. much. Tom, by the way, is in England, in Oxford. <laughs> I'm in New York and we have you in LA. So once again, we are Zooming and shaking and stirring all around the world. I kind of like this sort of, what this action that we have going on here. So what's going on with you, James? You are in LA now. Is this a permanent move? Permanent move. I've been here for a year next month. I had really good 12 years in New York City, but I felt that the, the walls of the, of the concrete of New York City and the, the constant energy and the sirens all the time was a little bit much. And I fancied to be able to look at my window and see palm trees and the Hollywood sign and green mountains. And so here I am. And it's wonderful. No complaints. So, although it is, it is a little hot today. Tom, by the way, is as red as a beetroot because it's, by all accounts, sort of 80 degrees in England. No, it's 20 degrees centigrade. And no, it's, 80 is, degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. I can't do Fahrenheit, I can't do anything. But it's 20, it's hot here. It's like midsummer. You're up in uh, Woodstock, I hear. Woodstock, exactly. Woodstock, New York. But, you know, it's, it's, it's freezing. We've had snow, we've had sneeze. Look, no one wants to talk about the weather. Um, I, you know, despite, as, as, as amusing as it is, I'm just jealous of the fact that you've got beautiful sunlight on you. The English love talking about the weather, but yeah. That's because it's so shitty most of the time. Yeah. So we've got three Not Englishmen on, on a podcast uh, talking <laughs> about the weather. When what could be possibly go wrong? Anything else in the world, like cocktails <laughs> and... What could go wrong? And, and happy Marshall. You know, just the way you described looking out your window just now, you are an old romantic. Yeah. Is that a big part of your whole mission in life is to, because you romance everything. You romance America, as far as I'm concerned. You, you, you sort of look for the good in everything and everybody. It's a big part of you. I mean, 
what, where does that come from? It probably came from my mom. I mean, my mom's, uh, you know, from a humble beginning, she was always someone very positive and, uh, you know, you can have, you can not have a lot in terms of material things as a kid, but when you have family and love and laughter, then you've, you've got everything. And did you uh, come from not much? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my, uh, my dad passed away when I was a kid. My mom raised two of us and then three of us on her own, on her own, which I think is extraordinary. I mean, being a mum for a kid on your own is, is tough enough, but I think to raise two kids and then a third one coming on later on is incredibly tough. So, yeah, so we, yeah, was, we, we had a, a very much working class beginning. You know, I think when you live in an environment like that, you, uh, you get to see the people around you kind of get caught in this cycle, this kind of caught, wrapped up in this, you know, you, you can't get out of it. And I think it's a choice. Because everyone's enough. Everyone's got potential. Everyone's got, you know, their own internal resources. But we just, I think you get so beaten down sometimes, you're going to forget to realize you've already got everything you need to be hugely, hugely successful. So, yeah. Is that I think really like, true, though, James? Is that really true? And I, I know, again, here's the romance. And I'm just arguing with you on this. Just play devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, but it, you know, obviously, I love that idea. And I think we all do. And it is a sort of the American dream. But it is also a little disnified in, in a way. Because it's a kind of like, does everybody have the same opportunity? I mean, even in this COVID moment that we have now, to say that it's the great equalizer is kind of BS. Because you know, starving people are, are not, you know, the same as people who can afford to go to the supermarket and buy what they want. Yes, yeah. we're all having to deal with the sickness and are scared and it's relative, but it's not all the same, right? And you're smart. You, you're able to see opportunity whereas other people may not have that, no? I mean, look, I, I, firstly, I think it's, it's definitely not an equal playing field. I'm a white male with an accent. You know, so I think that I have white privilege, I have accent privilege, I have male privilege. And I think in England, that doesn't necessarily matter so much. I mean, yes, it's still relevant, but in England you have a class system, so you can be a working-class person and think that it's a tough journey. But I think there are countless stories of people from different ethnicities and religions and sexual orientations that have gone through you know, terrible things and come out a bit better on the other side. But I, th I think, why would we want to wait for terrible things to happen? Like, why do we have to wait to, for a near-death experience to uh, live a life that is more positive i think some people are naturally gifted in some ways but also the, the goals of everyone are different i mean my brother is he's a six foot five and a half gay man that is chubby and autistic and i've always been someone like more like a father figure to him well he probably wouldn't say that but i felt more like a father figure to him sure and you know i was pushing him pushing him pushing him pushing him for years and then one day he said to me he said james he said i don't want to be rich he said, I don't want to be, you know, on television. I don't want to be all the things you want to be. He said that his goal was he wanted to find a guy that he could spend the rest of his life with, where he could have a job that, you know, paid him a living wage and live in a comfortable home. That was his goal. And he's arguably much closer to his goal than I am mine. So I think that the, the goals and the, the playing field is always uneven. But then the goals and aspirations of everyone is very different too. And I also think we should be careful what we wish for. Sure, no doubt about it. I mean, you, so you use the word happy a lot, right? You, you had a dog named Happy. You 
called the production company Happy Marshall. You know, yeah. you're known pretty much as Happy Marshall. In fact, if you Google you, the easiest way to get to you is by putting happy in the in the word. And then <laughs> anything with the word happy and the word Marshall, and you pop up everywhere. You know, uh, you can even put random other swear words in and happy and Marshall's in there, and your <laughs> face comes up. So Tiny penis, happy Marshall, there you are. Exactly. As long as the word happy is in there, you you come up. And you're talking about happiness and the quest for happiness. And it is a sort of a, it is almost the holy grail of life, right? It is a, it's the quest for happiness of some sort. And you mentioned the relativity of it, as in, is it, are you happy to be rich? Are you happy to be successful, famous, or clearly not, right? Um, but but there's your brother and subsistence farmers in Africa, whatever you, whoever you, wherever you may find people who are happy. Is, is this your mission in life? Is this, is this what it is, to find happiness? I mean, I, I'm not sure if my mission in life is to find happiness. I think happiness is a place that you visit. It's not, a, it's not a, it's a place you can stay the whole time. Everyone's on a train on their own life journey, and you visit happiness as often as you possibly can. But I think for me, my purpose, I think, is that I see the potential in people all of the time. And I see people wasting their, wasting their potential. They don't live to, you know, they, let, they let things get in their way that they can just move out of the way if they can get their head around it. I mean, I, I mean maybe I'm a, an example of that. You know, I came from a, a working class family with a mum that had severe depression, a father that had already died. And, you know, all my friends were working class. And my goal then was to be a forklift truck driver. That's what I thought my goal, what I should do, because that's what my uncle did. And, a couple of my friends did, and I thought it'd be really cool to drive forklift trucks around a warehouse. Would have been. If you're happy to do that, that's great. It's a great job. For me, I totally believe 100% happiness is, and you run a podcast, but happiness is up here. Happiness is in your head. Happiness is literally in your head. And beginning and end of that is where happiness is. I, that's what I think. Would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, there's a... So I did a, an art exhibition in New York about two years ago, um, and I called the exhibition Impermanence. And the idea was that with the different pieces of the paintings I, I made, you could see in the paintings that there was one dot in every painting that was surrounded by chaos, was surrounded by good and bad. And, and the, the idea of the exhibition being called Impermanence is that happiness and unhappiness is something that comes and it goes. But it, you're absolutely right, Tom. I, I, I believe it starts with and ends with your mind, your mindset. So if you are depressed and you read books about depression, that isn't going to make you happy. That isn't going to get you out of depression. That's just going to make you understand more about depression. That's what cocktails are for. That's what cocktails are for, exactly, yeah. And that's why I drink tequila <laughs> margaritas, because tequila's an upper. Hell yeah. It's the only alcohol that's an upper, so why would I want to drink anything else? But I think you're right, Tom. I think... If we can spend more of our time, like I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is meditate. And it's either 10 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes, and I meditate almost every day. And it just starts my day off really, really well. Then I get a coffee, and I talk to my girlfriend for, for an hour or whatever, whatever time, 10 minutes, whatever time we have. Then I have a little workout, and then I crack on with my day. But I think that it is in your head, but your mind is like, a, it was a Zig Ziglar said years ago, but we go to the gym to work out, but you've got to do a checkup from the neck up. And mm. I took that to heart that we have to, like yoga, work on our bodies, we have to work on our minds. And it's something I do to increase my happiness. 
Sorry, I want to know about you checking in with your girlfriend for an hour in the morning right after you. <laughs> what, what, what is that, the check-in with the What's happening there? <laughs> well, listen, I mean, there's... there's uh... Is this a tantric moment we're having? Is this sort of sting inspired or what are we doing? This is a certain natural thing that happens to us guys in the mornings and I think that waste not, want not. <laughs> Good answer. Really? Tom, all over to you. No, what I was going to say, I'll tell you, I was going to tell you a story. My youngest child, when he was, when, you know, you could still have fit in a bath together and he looked at me and he said, you know, Dad, if you ever, and I, I come from a, you know, privileged background, I have no complaints about anything at all. And I'm incredibly lucky. I've been incredibly lucky with my life. And all the you rest. Have beautiful hair, Tom. You have beautiful hair. Thanks, man. It just got even better. So I mean, and I've got beautiful hair, so I can chuck that into the, the sentence. <laughs> no, my son turned around. Genetic goldmine. Yeah, a genetic goldmine. But he, he just looked at me very earnestly one day and he said, you know, if you lose everything and you end up living under a bridge in a cardboard box, this is a six-year-old saying this to me. I've come and lived with you because that's how much I love you. And that, yeah. to me, what, you want happiness, right? That's about the happiest moment of my, one of the happiest moments of my life. Yeah? Except, could you imagine just how miserable you'd be living under a bridge in a cardboard box? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Talk about there's Nigel Burst in a romance bubble right there. Fuck <laughs> it up. Come on. Yeah, no, I got you. I, I hear you. I, th- I, I get it. I get it, guys. And, and I think that James is, has spent a career basically well the past i don't know how long has it been since you you left the corporate world seven years yeah seven years it's only been seven years really seven years, yeah yeah you say seven years like it's a long time but what you've managed to achieve it seems to be a lot in that process you've you also had a restaurant it was at the same time when you had the restaurant whitehall in new york i mean well, oh, that's such fun times yeah so i left the corporate world we had a restaurant called whitehall which was Probably one of the most fun things I ever did. We had it for five years. My business partner and I, we started it, launched it. It became this kind of, this place that everyone went to have fun in, in Manhattan. And then, and then I had a flower company, uh, which is still existing today, a company called Putnam Flowers. We uh, launched with these two, two very talented designers, which we launched and I've now sold my shares back to them. But we, we had the flower company and then eventually got into television actually you were Nigel you were one of my first ever things I did in television was that series we did for GQ magazine jogging with James jogging with James yeah which I you know I'd never been in front of a camera until that point I had no idea (laughs) (laughs) anybody who decides to do an interview show whilst jogging and running clearly has no bloody idea about how to interview how on earth i was like when, my, when i was told by my publicist that they've got this opportunity for me um, <laughs> and it was an interview that i had to do whilst running um, in, the, in the winter it was bloody freezing and running with this guy that's there's absolutely absolute nobody and uh, yeah you were nice me. Talking about <laughs> what? We, we would run around the park and people would shout out, there's Nigel Barber, Nigel, Nigel. I mean, it was, it was like running with, with, uh, with Lennon. F you, by the way. But nonetheless, what, what, I, <laughs> what I found funny about it was your wife at the time, Electra's publicist, was my publicist. And she had done a double where she was, she was going to plug your show by putting me on the show and was like, oh, no, this is this great show. And then I found after the fact that she also represented your wife, which I hadn't yeah. realized from before. And, but the great part of it was you and I became friends. I yeah. liked you from the moment I met you. You were straight up. 
you were funny, you did your job, you, you created a great piece, you humiliated me, it all worked out well in the end. And, you know, we've been friends ever since. Um, yeah. But that, that, it was interesting, you created a show that, like, called Jogging with James, which I thought was just sort of bonkers, but fun. And ever since then, you, you've gone on to do these other shows like American Doers and the American Dream Project, which is yeah. a, a sort of, tell us about American Dream Project, because you sort of traveled around the country on a motorbike with a buddy. It's a kind of like such a fun thing to do. It's almost like a gap year. Well, well yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, there were two things, there were two reasons why I made that, that show. One, because I wanted to ride a motorcycle across America. And the other one was because I was just pissed off with how everyone was just pissing on America the entire time. It was Fox, it was CNN, it was everybody who was just talking about the American dream being dead, America's done, it was ruined. And as someone that just moved here and just quit my corporate job for my American dream, it was kind of a little bit disheartening that someone would say, you know, the American dream is over. And it kind of sparked this idea of, okay, well, maybe we can democratically find out what people really think about the American dream. So it's not some Fox pundit or some CNN pundit. And we basically, you know, did a Kickstarter campaign to raise a bit of money and then word kind of got around and then a brand. How much did you raise for the Kickstarter? Oh my God, it was such a disaster. So we had, the goal was to raise 50,000. And the thing with Kickstarter is that if you don't get the whole 50,000, you lose it all. So at the 11th hour, we had 35,000. So I actually had to get a friend of mine to put in 15 grand for me to borrow 15,000 to put in to get the 50, so I could get 50 out, give me 15 back, so I would get the 35,000. So we, didn't, we raised a good amount of money, but it was all in like $5, $10. So there's a lot of people interested, but then Cole Hahn phoned up and said, look, we've heard that you want to make a show about the American dream. And Cole Hahn basically gave us you know, a, a bunch of money and um, it wasn't enough to make the show. I mean, my lack of knowledge, I thought the money they, was gonna, they, were, they gave me was enough for the whole season. It was barely enough for an episode. So I basically had to beg, borrow, and steal. And the show was supposed to be about this English guy and an American guy riding from New York City to California. And they used social media to find people to stay with and to interview. But rather than, because we were so broke, rather than uh, them just letting my friend Todd and I stay with them, they had to put the whole crew up as well. So we had 10 of us staying with these wonderful people all the way across America, which we should have filmed. You should have done. That would have been was, hilarious. I mean, that's what I would love to go back and do is, is do a similar thing. But it, it, it proved to me that these people had never met us before in person. And we reached out on social media. We interviewed them before to make sure they weren't murderers. And we stayed with these random Americans all across America for a month. And they were overwhelmingly supportive and kind and didn't know us from Adam, opened up their homes. Okay, devil's and advocate again. Welcome to America. The fact that people want to put you up in your house because you're making a TV show is because they're so kind and loving, or is it because they all want to be famous everywhere around America and they'll do, go to any length? It doesn't matter if they have to have 100 people in their house, a bloody film crew and everybody else. It's like, it's fine as long as we're famous, we're on TV and we have our 10 minutes. You know what? I think it's okay. I'll take that. I'll take that. I mean, there's, I mean there, are, there are people that did not need the publicity, like John Fetterman, who's the mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania. And this guy is known all over the world as being this incredible guy. But he, you know, he wanted to put his town, Braddock, on the map as, as a, an example of what can happen after the Steel Revolution and the, the collapse of the Industrial Era. 
And when a town loses 90% of its population, he came in, got rid of the gangs, which was incredibly tough, and now that town is revitalizing. And I think it's a very important message because we do have a tendency to focus on the car crash. Like we, if you look at, if you scroll through Netflix, Amazon, or your normal television, every show is about murder, about you know slaughter, about you know genocide. It's all negative stuff. Unless you're on Hallmark. Unless you're on Hallmark, and then it just makes you want to puke because it's like. So how then did you think that you were going to rewrite what people want to watch, what people want to see, without creating some Hallmark crap? or some Disney bullshit, like, how are you going to do it? Basically, you, you, you were going to be the guy. You were going to, what you had somehow in a bottle was going to be magic and was going to be better than everything else, better than all these other these studios. You were going to find the magic and you were going to convince everyone. Again, you know, I love what you do, but I, it's interesting, right? You took a risk and you're, you're betting on the fact that somehow the, the people are really going to want to see happiness. We are obsessed with disaster. I mean, look, we are obsessed with disasters. No, there's no doubt about that because it, it triggers all the stress hormones within us. And if you look at CNN and Fox, they're the only two organizations that are guaranteed to make money out of any election. And they make huge amounts of profit. And CNN is super left and they hate Trump. Um, but they made more money than anybody else during the Trump election. Right? So they talk about Trump and he's such a bad person. I'm not going to get involved in the politics, but... That's their, that's their opinion, and they call him a bad person. They make loads and loads of money. Then you look at Fox that looked at Obama and made him out to be an incredibly bad person, and they made lots of money. So who's being played, right? We're all being played. And I think that, that I doubt whether we can really call them news organizations anymore. They're more like entertainment news. Because I've got a friend of mine that is a pundit on Fox. He's a great guy, loved the guy to death. He spent 17 years in the Royal Air Force as a helicopter pilot, went to Afghanistan, went to Iraq. Is he a foreign affairs correspondent? Is he qualified to give all of America an opinion on what's happening within Afghanistan, Iraq, Russia? I don't know. So a lot of it is opinion-based. Why would he not be, just because he's those things? I mean, I'm not saying he's not, but I'm not, I'm not saying he is either. And... I know this guy is a great guy, but I also know that he's probably not someone that vote for Trump. Um, so he's being utilized because he's got on a living as well um, and, and adding to the drama. And I think that I think people are inherently good. If you turned off the news channels today, literally, if Fox and CNN, those news channels just disappeared, we would be infinitely happier. So like, you think people are inherently good? Yes. One could argue that people are inherently bad. Argue your point. Okay. So the fact that we need religion, the fact that we have to have churches and we have to have sort of weird rules and, and, and books and sort of concepts where people, if we don't do the right thing, we go to hell and that we will burn for eternity and that we have to scare people into doing, doing the right thing. The fact that people kind of, even right now, are sort of marching around saying, sod, you know, the, the restrictions for staying at home in isolation. I'm going to come out and, and say, sod it, I'm, I'm going to go out anyway because I've had enough and I want to have a haircut. The next time you're in your car, look at your windscreen. If you see a bloody splat from a tiny fly, your eyes will focus on the bloody splat. And I think that that is unfortunately we are, our consciousness is distracted very easily. And it's focused on the negative constantly. So, listen, I'm, I'm 
definitely not an expert. I mean, the, the, I have no idea how I made the shows I made. I've, I have no right to call myself a producer or a filmmaker because I, I bluffed my way through everything. And God knows how I made these shows. God knows how I got my Netflix and Amazon and, and whatever. God knows how much I made, how I made money out of it. And, and well, that's because more- they're actually entertaining. I mean, that's, the reality is you have that, James, and you can't deny it. You, one, can, one can deny it. I can play devil's advocate and push you around and be mean or whatever as I am right now, trying to, just to push your buttons a touch. But the reality is, is that you are good at what you do. You are the, the real deal. You are a very, personally, a very amicable, nice guy, and you, and you have this vibe about you. You have this happy vibe. In fact, when I was talking about you last night with my wife in the room, she said, she said to me, she's like, well, you know, he's such a happy guy. It was like, just comes out. And that is who you are. And that is what you, and it is, I think the authenticity behind that is why you work and why this works. And it's, for me, you know, I'm just curious, is that your mission in life? To, to kind of seek happiness, talk about happiness, promote happiness. And it's a good thing. Why should you not? I mean, I think, you know, my, my mission is like, I mean, my mission in life actually changed recently. So I had a down moment a, a few weeks ago and I was kind of re- I was really questioning everything. I think, as as we all have in this COVID nineteen situation, we're all put under under different stress and different pressures. And I really had to think about what is important to me and what my purpose is and what I want to do. And I think that uh, you need a break to make. Have you finished your drink? Do you want to go and make another one? No, I've, I've run out. There's no more tequila in the house. It's done. It's gone. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry but, about that. But yeah, I've got warm champagne. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, so I had this, so I had this kind of this kind of down reflective moment. I spent too much of my time preaching, too much of my time telling people how to be happy and giving people guidance. And, and I think that's actually the wrong approach. I've realised in the last couple of weeks. I think my job myself is to be as happy as I can be myself. And if I can be happy, and if I can live the best life I can, then I'm an example to other people. And my job isn't trying to convince people to be happy. They've got to work it out themselves. You can't, you can't tell someone to be happy. Well, what is the recipe for happiness? It's up here. I mean, Tom, is, you're so right. Tom is up there. I think actually, firstly, it's we should not compare. I think comparing ourselves to other people is a recipe for disaster because, you know, you can see you know, two blocks from me, there's guys who live under a bridge. Right? I can compare myself to them. And think, you know, well, I'm better off than they are, but there's always going to be someone else that's better off than me. Or there's someone that's better looking, that's more successful, that has more money, has better hair. Better better. hair. Did you say that at the same time I said it? Better hair. I, I did. Well, I mean, I was looking <laughs> at your hair, Tom. I, actually, Nigel had better hair than both of us. When you look at Nigel when he's in his modeling days, oh. I mean, good God. Hang on. He had, let's just be, can we just agree to be happy that he had hair? He had hair. Can we just agree that I had to actually shave my head because I was worried that I was going to break the internet and the world couldn't handle me with hair? You know what? The thing is, you're probably actually right, Nigel, because with you with hair, it's almost unfair. You've got got the height, you've got that Roman nose, you've got that jawline. Full head, as his wife just pointed out. By the way, just before he came on, his wife said, your head looks tiny, darling, you know. Because his body's too big. His body, you know, he's got a great physique and this muscular, wonderful physique that everyone aspires to. But not if you, your head's too small for your physique, as his wife pointed out. By the way, this isn't a personal insult. Nice. Nice. Lean forward. Your head looks can, can I ask, actually, let me ask you guys a personal question here. So, Tom, yeah. so you went to boarding school with Nigel. 
And you are probably quite intimately knowledgeable about Nigel. Oh, my God. So, uh, anything you want to tell us? Yes, so much. <laughs> do you know what I might do, though? I might wait for that moment when, because I'm kind of thinking that this, this is such fun, and I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And it's kind of right up my street that I'm kind of looking forward to doing the actual studio podcast when we can actually sort of sit down, where we can shake hands again. I mean, I don't know. Is, is that ever going to happen? And I promise you, I give you my word, if we ever get into a studio and we actually manage to meet over a cocktail and revisit the podcast, I will tell you things that, that he, well, I think he's in charge of the editing process, probably. All of this will be cut. <laughs> <laughs> is that a good enough answer? I've got to say, Nigel, you're a great kisser, as this is going to be cut. You're a great kisser. <laughs> I haven't even heard his wife say that. Oh my God. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't think Electra told you that, did she? Oh! Mm. <laughs> do you know, the problem with Nigel is he's got an uncanny ability to be able to do that, come back very quickly and shut... and. Try and attempt to shut one down. No, he's he's good on the. Um, you know what? Yeah. I think if my ex if my ex wife kissed Nigel, I don't think I would be upset about that. Happiness is up here, not here. I mean, you know. So. Yeah, I, but you know what? Although the mouth is very close to the head. It's, it's true. Yeah, yeah. And my tongue is quite long. Well, it's got to. You know, you've got to compensate for other things. Anyway, but, sorry. Totally off track here. Um, <laughs> before we go anywhere, James, have you found your happy place? Do you think? Yes. Yeah, I think I have. I think, um, I think I've spent enough time kind of contemplating and thinking about what I have and what I don't have to, to actually be very grateful where I'm at. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I live in a wonderful city. I'm living on this, in this cottage on the top of a hotel, looking at the green hills and the blue sky and the Hollywood sign. And I've got my health. I've got great friends. How can I not be happy? Well, thank God. There you go. What's next for you? What's next? I'm working on uh, two pilots for two different TV shows. I can't talk about either of them too much at the moment, but one of them is uh, uh, actually very, very exciting because it's about consequences, uh, the seen and unseen consequences of history, um, which I'm really excited about. We're shooting that in August, pre-production July, God willing, if uh, the COVID thing makes that happen. Uh, and then I'm making uh, another series about fun, which I can't get into any details, but we're Sounds fun. Kind of, it is fun. <laughs> but it is really fun. It's fun, and I think fun is a part of happiness. And I think you've, you've sometimes you just got to blow the fucking doors off and have fun. Here we go. It, it all comes around to happiness with Happy Marshall, James Marshall. James, before you go, let's do a little rapid fire last orders on this show. It's like a little thing we like to do just to wrap things up, just to kind of get into that crazy head of yours. So here we go. You ready? Yeah. What's one thing you put on your bucket list? Uh, probably to learn to fly. As in fly a plane or fly just with wings? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I'd, I'd learn to fly because I'm scared of flying and I think that would be a, a good thing to do. Interesting. Uh, dark chocolate or milk? Milk chocolate. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Probably Sam Rockwell. Because apparently I get mistaken for him all the time. and I think he's an incredible actor. I see it. I do see it, actually. There is a, a similarity there. Yeah. Isn't he married to Lydia Hurst? We can't both be married, married to Lydia Hurst. <laughs> oh, Hollywood. What makes you feel happy? Uh, gratitude. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, would you describe yourself as uh, shaken or stirred? I'm definitely shaken. 
Love it. Thanks for stepping in. guys. This has been so fun. Tom, great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Really good. I hope you get to meet the first one day. I would love that. I'd absolutely love that, yeah. And Nigel, best to you, my friend. Best for you. Thanks so much for shaking things up on Shaken and Stirred. This is James Marshall. Look out for his new shows coming up, hopefully the end of this year, the beginning of next. Yep. We'll have you again. Chin chin. American Doers and the American Dream Project, Amazon, Netflix, well worth it. It'll put a smile on your face. And don't listen to all the nasty things I said. I'm just winding him up. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.